0: Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 1, 15 through 26. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled, in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payment he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field, in their language, a keldama, which is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and... May another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time. Uh, The Lord Jesus was among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Sabbath, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the eleven apostles. Thanks, Rob. Good,
1: Good morning. When God's Spirit came on the apostles in Acts 2, he came as tongues of fire. Just as God's presence had filled the temple as a cloud of smoke, these were mighty displays of God's power by fire and smoke. This week, a light bulb in the back room decided he wanted to see that kind of power here at Cole. We had a little bit of fire and a lot of smoke. The power of God often means stuff that we aren't sure that we want to see. Uh, The power of God often means things like death, even. In the lives of the apostles, for example. A friend wrote a song, and it's a uh, a beautiful song. And in the song, it's it's talking about following God. And it says, your burdens are light, but your blessings are heavy. Almost too weighty to bear. I think that's true. Following God means things that we're not always ready for. The apostles aren't sure they're ready for this. And we're going to find out more about the apostles today. Things like fire... Things like hurricanes, things like life, uh, often bring to mind, at least for me and maybe for many of you, thoughts of death. Grace and I had a a week that brought death to mind a lot. One of our friends from seminary days uh, died after a year-long struggle with cancer. And then the very next morning, uh, another friend from seminary days, so she's a mother of four, Had discovered that her brain tumor is back. So she had beat off uh, a first round of glioblastoma brain tumor, and now something, there's a growth again. Death is kind of always there, isn't it? It's a shadow that uh, is always with us in life. Even our most intimate moments with the ones that we love, there's always a, a potential thought oh, this person is going to die. We're all going to die. Nearly all great literature, music, art, philosophy, really every great human endeavor is somehow related to death or our fear of death. Shakespeare's Hamlet, to be or not to be, that's the question. John Donne's great poem, Do not ask for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. And Woody Allen's great quote, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. All of our greatest achievements might largely be our ways of seeking immortality. Of trying to keep ourselves around after we die. If I just do something great enough, then at least people will remember me after I'm gone. Maybe if our Tower of Babel is tall enough, maybe if it reaches all the way to heaven, then we will avoid death and meaninglessness. But everybody faces death. We're all witnesses to death. We see death in our lives. We know the fear of death. Everyone is a witness to death. But for those who love Jesus, we know that Jesus overcame death. We're all witnesses to death, but the apostles here in our passage and the church beyond the apostles see ourselves as witnesses, not just to death, but also to the resurrection. The resurrection changes everything, including our relationship to death. Death is no longer a feared enemy. It's not the thing that we will see at the end of life. In the end, it's not death that we face, but Jesus. Jesus, who has defeated death. One way that we might frame his evaluation of us, as church, is to say that he's looking for people who are no longer consumed by their fear of death, but we have become consumed by him. Are we people who bear witness to the victory of death, or do we bear witness to Jesus' victory over death? Are we witnesses of death or witnesses of the resurrection? Let's pray and dig into this passage together. Father, we praise you that by your Son, you defeated sin and death and evil, and you are setting all things right. Because of the resurrection, you are building a new creation, a new world out of this one, You're resurrecting this world too. You're building a new world that we get to live in with you for eternity. A world, a kingdom built on righteousness and justice where your love and grace reign supreme. We give you thanks and praise, Father. We ask that you would, as we study your word today, you would change us by your Holy Spirit that we might become more and more witnesses to the resurrection and not only witnesses to death. We thank you for the apostles and we ask that that their example from the text today might uh, inspire us and challenge us and help us to grow more and more to be like Jesus. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we started the book of Acts. Last week Dad did verses 1 to 11 of chapter 1 where Jesus calls his apostles to be witnesses to his kingdom throughout the world empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they were going to go out from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to all the ends of the earth. So today in our passage, Jesus has now risen to heaven, and the apostles have to ask the question, who are we going to be? What's this thing going to look like? After Jesus is in heaven, he's ruling from up there, but what does it mean for us down here? How are we going to live here and now? And one of the big questions that they have to answer is, What does it mean that Judas, one of the number of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, Judas betrayed Jesus and is now dead? So that's an essential question. Another one is, what is this church going to look like? And then, what is it to be an apostle? So these are the questions that we're going to look at together today. First, let's look at Judas. Uh, There's a very uh, graphic description of his death that Rob read for us. His bowels gushed out, burst open fantastic. Judas, who if you remember the Gospels, was one of Jesus' most trusted friends. He was a friend and uh, apostle. He was the guy who carried the money. So you trust that guy. He's a very trusted friend, but he betrayed Jesus. And in his betrayal, uh, after his betrayal, he recognized what he had done and took his own life. We don't know, the, the Gospels don't tell us why Judas did what he did. We don't really have uh, a description of what he was thinking. It wouldn't surprise me to find out that he was trying to establish a political kingdom and Jesus wasn't going along. What he wanted and what the apostles wanted and what the church tends to want today also is a kingdom that does well for us, a political kingdom that establishes rule now. That's what we tend to want. Dad talked about that last week. Jesus didn't go along with Judas's plan. Jesus didn't establish a political kingdom. He didn't overthrow the Romans. He didn't take the reins of, or take the throne in Israel. And so Judas couldn't live with that. Because I think for Judas, as for us, ultimately, too often we think death really is the end. So we have to establish the kingdom here and now. If it doesn't get established here and now, then we think, oh, well, nothing's coming after. We have to establish the kingdom here. Because ultimately, Judas was a witness to death. His life bore witness to the fact that he believed that death was the end. Peter has several things to say about Judas here. And what's interesting is when he talks about Judas from this chapter... He quotes scripture, he quotes the Psalms, specifically David's Psalms, more specifically David's Lament Psalms. He he references Psalm 41, which is a Psalm of David, that the one who ate with me is the one who betrays me. Then he quotes from Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. 69, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. And Psalm 109, let another take his office. All of these psalms are David writing about his experience of being betrayed by a friend. So that's what, why Peter references them. They're David's psalms about betrayals of friends. The apostle's understanding of Jesus comes from the Old Testament. And so the apostle's understanding of Judas also comes from the Old Testament. Specifically again, the psalms of David there's a controversy in the last couple of years about a pastor saying we should unhitch our faith from the old testament because that's what the apostles did the apostles unhitched their faith from the old testament and i'm just curious uh to my brother pastor what new testament are you reading because the apostles did not unhitch their faith they intentionally hitched their faith to the the faith of the Old Testament. They constantly are binding themselves with an understanding of the world through the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the lens by which they understand who Jesus is and what the world is. They see Jesus as the fulfillment of David. That's what they're doing by quoting the, the Davidic Psalms here. Jesus fulfills David's role. David promised, God promised to David that he would always have someone from his seed on the throne of Israel. Jesus fulfills that so that now there is an eternal king, Davidic king, on the throne of Israel. But Jesus also fulfills the entire Old Testament. Way back in the garden, God promised to Eve, one of your seed will crush the serpent's head. That's Jesus. In Genesis 12, when God promises to Abraham your seed will be a blessing to all the nations. That's Jesus. When God promises to David, someone from your your seed will be on the throne of Israel. That's David. Jesus is constantly fulfilling God's promises to Israel. He is a fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. We don't have... I'm so bummed that Cleopas and his walking companion in Luke 24, didn't write down this whole conversation, but you remember on the road to Emmaus, Jesus shows up and explains how the entire scripture are about him. I, w- I wish someone had written that down. It would make my job a lot easier trying to, this, uh, to preach the scriptures. But the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. So the apostles see Jesus in Old Testament terms, so they see Judas as Jesus' betrayer, going back to the Old Testament. So when they're thinking about what they should do next, they use these Psalms. Okay, another person should take his office. So we should fill Judas's place. Again, the apostles are consciously applying Holy Spirit-inspired Old Testament to this situation. They see David suggests that another should take David's betrayer's place. So they believe that another should take Judas' place. What they're suggesting here, again, is that Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. He fulfills the role of Israel. He is Israel. Which explains why we need 12 apostles, right? Jesus specifically chose 12 apostles because he wanted 12 to sit on the thrones. He says this in Luke 12 to sit on the thrones of the 12 tribes of Israel. The church is Israel. Jesus had fulfilled Israel. He's brought it to completion. He's completed its purposes so that in Jesus, Israel can be fully everything that it was meant to be. In Christ, Israel is fully Israel. When Jesus went to the cross, Israel was fulfilling its purpose as a nation meant to suffer for the sake of the world. When Jesus rose from the dead, Israel was rising to new life. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, the nation of Israel was being exalted to its proper place as ruler over the kingdoms of the earth. And so, for those who are in Christ, the apostles and the 120 that are gathered there in that room, they are now Israel because they're in Christ. The true Israel, righteous Israel, is now the church. As Paul says in Romans 9, Israel is no longer Israel according to the flesh, but Israel in Christ, according to the Spirit of God. The apostles do not yet fully understand what that's going to mean. They still are expecting ethnic Israel to be Israel, like they're thinking of Israel as only the Israel who are Jews. We're going to find out throughout the book of Acts that that's not the case. In Christ, everyone is welcome to Israel. Gentiles, the poor, orphans, widows, prisoners. The new Israel, under the crucified and resurrected Messiah, is a nation of outsiders. The poor, the meek, the merciful, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Israel itself is a group of people being raised to new life, by God's work of bringing new life to those who were dead. This new Israel is a witness to the resurrection, not just the resurrection of Jesus, but also the resurrection of ourselves in Christ. We were dead, Paul says, but now we are alive because of Christ. And this was always God's plan. And we can see that in the Old Testament, God continues to bring people who don't belong into the nation of Israel, uh, maybe the clearest way of naming some of those people is to look at the line of Jesus. Remember, there are five women listed in the line of G- Women, first thing. Women were not listed in genealogical lines very often. But also, look at these women. Tamar, who prostituted herself and was a Canaanite woman, she's listed in Jesus' line. Then Rahab who was a a Canaanite prostitute, Ruth, who was a Gentile widow, Bathsheba, who was seduced and raped by the king of Israel, David, and then Mary, who was an unwed mother impregnated by someone not her husband. The kingdom of God has always been and was always intended to be a kingdom of outsiders, people who were social outcasts or sexually uh, sinful or had all kinds of politically uh, irrelevant. They're they're people of, they're not the people that we might choose. That's the people that God chooses to choose. That was always God's plan. These apostles don't know all of that yet. They're going to find out throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see more of God banging their head against walls till they finally get it. But they are the foundation of this new Jerusalem. As we saw in Revelation 21 when we studied it this summer, it's the 12 apostles' names that are written on the foundation stones that establish the new Jerusalem. The church is built on their foundation, on their example. Fantastic. We are the church built on the foundation of these apostles. And when they have to define what it looks like to be an apostle... Peter in verse 22 says, uh, here are the prerequisites for being an apostle and then the job description. Verse 22. They had to walk with Jesus from the beginning when John was baptizing until the day that Jesus was taken up from us. One of those men must become with us, job description, a witness of the resurrection. So they had to walk with Jesus to be an apostle. And then what they were going to be as an apostle was a witness to the resurrection. Again, all humans are witnesses to death. We all see death. We all experience death. The apostles are called to be witnesses to the resurrection. They're called to live their lives haunted not by death, but by the glorious and wondrous fact that Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, then death has no final victory. It's not the end of me. If he rose, then it's not death that I will face at the end of life, it's Jesus. He then, Jesus, is the end of life. Death is only the path that we all walk in order to meet him face to face. If he rose, then all of this life is his, it belongs to him. If death is the shadow that haunts all of us, then Jesus is the light that stands behind the shadow and chases the shadows away as we set our eyes on him. And so the apostles lived as witnesses to the resurrection in that way. They were not afraid to face death and persecution for the cause of Jesus. They had seen the risen Lord, and so no death could cause them to fear. According to tradition, they all preached the gospel in difficult places, and all of them faced persecution, and all except John faced death. Peter was crucified upside down. Andrew crucified. James killed with the sword. John exiled and persecuted. Philip was killed. Bartholomew martyred. Thomas killed. Matthew killed. The other James was stoned to death. The other Judas was killed. And it appears by tradition that Matthias, who was chosen here to replace Judas the betrayer, was likely beheaded for the cause of Christ. All of them bore witness to the resurrection of Jesus in the ways that they lived and died. They did not fear death. Or if they did fear death, they trusted in Jesus and wanted to serve Him more than they feared death. To witness to the resurrection is to be ready to suffer so that we can show off Christ. Paul, many places, but I'll list a couple, Paul connects the task of witnessing to the resurrection with dying with Jesus. In Romans 6, he says, he claims, Those who have died with Christ will be raised with him. And in Philippians 3, 8 to 11, he says he wants to know Christ by suffering with him and experiencing his death so that he may rise with him. Bring up Paul, brings up an interesting conversation in this context, by the way, because Paul was also called to be an apostle. And suffered and his life bears witness to the resurrection in the same kinds of ways. And in multiple conversations about this text this week, the question came up, did the the apostles jump the gun? Should they have waited for the Holy Spirit to name Paul an apostle instead of Matthias? So Paul or Matthias is the 12th apostle. I guess the way I understand it is something like this. Both of them lived out what it meant to be an apostle. Both of them lived as witnesses to the resurrection. The way they made the decision was in prayer, listening to the Holy Spirit through the words of Scripture, and in community with one another. In other words, the process was a good process, deciding on Matthias. And Scripture gives us no indication that this was a bad decision. And I guess I would answer something like this. Even if God initially intended that Paul would be the 12th apostle even if that were the case God gives us freedom to choose and God takes our good decisions this is a good decision good process good decision and makes them great so what I think I would like to be known at the end of my life as a person who made good decisions that God turned into great ones I'll take that so the apostles bore witness to the resurrection in a few ways They demonstrate the power of God and their understanding of Scripture and their teaching. They performed miracles and healings that showed that Jesus is still alive and ruling. But mostly, and this is the heart of what it means to be an apostle, they lived and died in ways that showed confidence in Jesus' victory over death and in God's ability to raise them from the dead. There's a movement today of uh, new apostles. So there's people who are now calling themselves apostles in this new apostolic age that's, uh, I think it comes out of an eschatological belief that we're right near the end and that Jesus is coming back soon. Which may or may not be the case. I can't answer for Jesus. These apostles establish their authority by their power, by their speaking, and by their healings. I just want to suggest... That's not the way that the New Testament apostles talk about or establish their authority. The New Testament apostles witness to the resurrection by being ready to face death, persecution, suffering. They live as weak for Jesus because Jesus raises the dead and reveals himself in weakness. Paul wrote a lot about this. 2 Corinthians you could take as an entire book about this exact question. What does it mean to be an apostle? He's arguing... Corinth had a bunch of people who called themselves apostles. Paul calls them super apostles throughout the book of 2 Corinthians. And they're establishing their authority by visions and dreams and by great works of healing and by being a much better speaker than Paul is. And Paul says, okay, these super apostles who claim charismatic speaking, signs and miracles... They want to establish their authority based on that. Paul says the exact opposite. What does it mean to be an apostle? He says, it's not strength that reveals the power of God, but weakness. It's not great speaking ability that shows that one is an apostle, but faithful endurance. It's not miracle or visions that show that one is a witness to the resurrection, but being willing to suffer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, which is kind of the highlight of the book for me, There's actually a lot of highlights in that book. But chapter 12, verses 8 to 11. He's talking about his thorn in the flesh, his weakness. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So instead of boasting about dreams and visions or miracles or great speaking ability, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what it means to be an apostle. When I am weak, then I am strong. That's what it means to bear witness to the resurrection. When I am weak, I am strong because the power of God is made perfect in weakness. So then, what does it mean to be the church built on that kind of foundation? The apostles who bear witness to the resurrection by their suffering and death. Well, again, the apostles are not witnesses to death the way that Judas was. They are the foundation of a new Israel. The kingdom of God built on Jesus, the cornerstone. And they are witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. The apostles are faithful servants of his who show off his power and lordship by preaching the gospel, by caring for the poor and for outsiders, and by faithfully enduring weakness, suffering, pain, persecution, and death. So the church built on that foundation ought to look an awful lot like them. We ought to be witnesses to the resurrection. We demonstrate his power over death by our willingness to face Jesus' enemies, by suffering for Jesus. We give glory to God by following Him in our weaknesses, not by demonstrating our own power. We live as a new Israel, the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel that all the nations would come and worship the Lord together. We worship the promised Messiah, the one that the whole Old Testament looks forward to. We live as the kingdom of Jesus the one that serves the poor and oppressed, that welcomes outsiders, that gives grace to sinners, and loves those who are difficult to love. And within the church, we give grace to one another. God is sovereign over our lives. He's so in control that death is no danger to him or to his plans. He's so in charge that our sin is no obstacle to him fulfilling his purposes for us. He loves to bless, he loves to overcome. So we get to live with confidence in Him that whatever we do, we are not beyond the reach of His love. So we freely confess our sins to Him and to each other, knowing that He can and does forgive. He even uses our sin for His purposes. He is so good and so sovereign that He is working all things together for the good of those who love Him. The apostles followed Jesus from the time that John was baptizing in the Jordan River until he rose from the dead and then ascended to his throne at the right hand of the Father. When they cast lots to decide to hear the Lord's decision between Matthias and Joseph Barsabbas, they knew they were serving a kingdom where God overcomes death. That's like throwing dice while playing with house money. There are no wrong choices when the king of the universe is on your side. The only wrong choice would be to reject the king and choose to follow someone else. So, who should they have chosen to replace Judas? Matthias? Great. Joseph, Barsabbas, Great choice. Paul? Sure, why not? He did okay. The real question is, are you following the king? Are you listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit and choosing to follow him? If you are, you can't go wrong. The wrong choice would be to listen to our fear of death to try and build immortality for ourselves instead of following after Jesus and choosing to die to ourselves. The wrong choice would be to reject the way of Israel's Messiah, the way of resurrection, by choosing to avoid death at all costs. The wrong choice is self-protection, self-seeking, self-absorbed, hopeless flailing against death. The apostles, by every worldly measure, lived very difficult lives. But they lived lives serving a victorious king as ambassadors sent out to minister in a triumphant kingdom. They faced rejection, political irrelevance, social ostracism, poverty, and violent deaths. And they faced all that willingly because they knew that Jesus had risen from the dead and that he would raise them with him and give them opportunity to live with him for eternity in a kingdom that would rule over all creation. They provided the foundation for a church against which the powers of hell will not prevail because of the overwhelming power of the Lord who rules at the Father's right hand. The apostles lived hard lives by every worldly measure. But in the kingdom of God, they have eternal life in unity with Jesus himself. Considering the payoff, that's not a bad bet to take. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example and the foundation of the apostles. We thank you for each of them and for uh, the foundation that they provide for us. Thank you that you continue to lead them and to guide them and to establish your kingdom in and through them. Thank you for Matthias. Thank you for the other 11. Thank you for Paul and his writings. And thank you that because of your work, In Jesus and on the cross and and in raising him from the dead, we all as Gentiles or Jews, slaves or free, male or female, we all are welcome, invited and equal in this kingdom that you've established. Continue to shape us and change us. Make us witnesses to the resurrection in our boldness, in our willingness to face death and know that Jesus is King. We love you and praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.